Uh, I've just got the best mental image in my head, exactly like old man yelling at Cloud. I can just see you with your fist in the air. <laughs> Shake harder, um, boy. <laughs> what you see in public is nothing about what goes on in private. <laughs> Matt, Matt is recording um, this in his underpants as we speak. Uh, <laughs> oh, too far. <laughs> And thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me in our Brisbane studios is uh, the historically-minded Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Are you talking about my age there, or are you uh, referring to something in particular? Nah, just cheekily teasing <laughs> uh, a setup for a story that we're going to get to a little bit later, I'm sure. Um, and um, in a bit of... Can history be deja vu? I suppose it can. Um, it can not be the first time we've done all over again. <laughs> not our first radio, it's fair to say, um, with this particular story, which we will come to. Um, it's a very special episode today because not only do we have the dulcet tones of Matt from Brisbane, but we also have returning uh, as a special guest, Zoe Ottaway. G'day, Zoe. Good morning. How is everybody? Good luck. Welcome back. Oh, you know, when crazy. she's not booked in with, with, you know, the Beer Healer or other um, uh, admirable <laughs> oh. podcast, you know, we try to sneak her in. Well, funnily you know, enough, Pete, we're, we're actually... We stand in a queue, we wait patiently. <laughs> we're, 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 Zoe's going to be uh, heard uh, twice this week because I've just recorded the... We've got the uh, Brews News Live recorded in Sydney uh, during Sydney uh, Beer Week that Zoe appeared on the labelling panel. So that's going to be going out... Well, we're recording this Friday morning. That's going to be going out Friday night. Uh, so you'll actually have probably listened to it, listeners, by the time uh, you actually hear this. So I might just uh, say enjoy uh, more Zoe. There we go. Double Zoe for wow. this week. You, our our <laughs> listeners are spoiled. It must be nearly Christmas. Well, I'll tell you what, don't, don't open the first door on your advent calendar just yet because, um, in the words of Tim Shaw, I know you want more. So joining us today for a very special discussion is uh, a new guest, uh, Fiona Sproles. Welcome, Fiona. Hey, thank you. Very excited to be here. I'll perhaps give the listeners better than I can or that or the Matt can a little bit of a, a background as to um, where you're from and what you do. Right. Well, um, at the moment, well, I run a business called Dusty Cowgirl Designs and I work primarily with um, craft beer, um, working with little creatures and white rabbits and furfy and primarily, you know, the lion craft beer division, um, assisting them with design and copywriting and general just you know some market insights and yeah I kind of I'm here today because I was reading the uh, Bruce News article on Coopers and um, had an opinion <laughs> you wanted to do my opinion. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. fair to say Fiona that uh, you were not Robinson Crusoe uh, in that department the um, this this yeah. story probably uh, as far as Bruce News goes um, we tend to get you know as, as Matt often says, we um, we feed the the mind rather than just the eye. So not only do we sort of uh, you know get lots of clicks, but we get lots of page views. And um, the time that people spend obviously indicates that they're they're reading and, and ingesting the story. This one um, particularly seems to have touched a chord. A because I guess you know it's a, a near on 160 year old business. It's still ostensibly it's family owned. Uh, and look for for the most part, I guess the 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 paradox that is Cooper's is that it's kind of betwixt and between. It's it's 
Is it craft? Well, no, not really. Is it macro mainstream? Well, no, it's not really. It kind of occupies a little space somewhere in between. Um, and, and no better person than you know the, the beer hunter um, Michael Jackson, who uh, I guess qualitatively quantified um, you know the sparkling ale as a, a unique um, style of beer. So in many ways, Cooper's occupies a very special place in in many people's drinking history, uh, and also in the the Australian beer landscape. Generally, uh, the story this week on Brews News was that Cooper suffers first decline in 20 years. Um, and you had some interesting uh, comments, uh, a comment that you made, Fiona, which led Matt to um, reach out and get you to, to pop on. Um, I guess talk us through from, from your uh, marketing perspective, um, your comments on the, um, the Cooper's News. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, I love Cooper's. I grew up in Kensington Park, which was down the road from the Cooper's original Leebrook Brewery. So, you know, I had my childhood with the smell of their brew days in my backyard <laughs> with all the malt and everything. And then when I went to uni, they had um, the pale ale was a big thing at uni. It was like, the, I think Frizz said on the um, commentary on the Cooper's article that it was like, you know, seen as like a craft beer before. Craft beer was really a concept in Australia. And um, they, it was um, such a a pivotal beer because it got me into beer because it had this amazing flavour to it. It was quite unlike anything I tasted before. So it was my epiphany beer. And then that took me into craft beer and, you know, Little Creatures came about and I, you know, that was the next, you know, gateway into craft beer. So I've been watching them for a while. I've been enjoying their pale ale for many, many, many years. And when I saw their session ale come out, I was really impressed because I was like, oh, you know, they're saying, you know, true to their brand, it's a great beer. They're obviously embracing, like, getting their head around the whole craft market. And so I thought, you know, good on them. But then this advert came out, which the kernel of the advert is about their DIY beer kits. So, you know, that kind of does feed into kind of the craft thinking that, you know, you want to get into the process, you want to look at the ingredients, you want to get your, you know, your heart and soul into your beer. But then they kind of confused the message by dumping on this hipster guy called Rafe and his kale ale. And, <laughs> and it was this very, like, obscure messaging they were kind of getting out there. It was a little bit too abstract. And all you took from it was that they were dumping on the craft beer hipsters. And I was like, well, that's kind of disappointing because, you know, I kind of, I see, like, the beer community and, particularly the craft beer community, is quite collaborative. And there's no real, you know, you don't need to dump on others to sell your own product. And then um, a couple of days later, I'm going through my emails and I see this email for a oh, craft beer homebrew kit. I thought, well, isn't that a little bit contradictory? <laughs> that in one hand, they're kind of trying to diss on the craft beer drinker. And the other one, they're trying to, you know, get some money from this market from people who are really into craft beer. So I thought, well, what's their call to action? Like, what are they trying to get at here? So it's like they're doing the Pauline Hanson and kind of flip-flopping around the place. So I guess my message was like, figure out what it is you are and really simplify your message. And you don't need to dump on the craft beer community. If that's the area that's taking money away from you, well, you can work in with that. You don't have to fight against it. It's an interesting point that you make there, Fiona, because it, it, that that seems to be exactly what they're doing. You know, on, on one hand, they don't really occupy a space, but 
they want to have a bit of a shot at the craft breweries. But it was interesting to see uh, Dr. Tim come out and I- explain the situation that they were in. You know, he, he essentially enunciated that we don't really have a clear brand position um, and that, you know, there's a very cluttered and crowded market. And I just, the things that you identified were things that I guess I'd seen but hadn't really enunciated. So I thought that, that's why we wanted to get you on to discuss it. But what can Coopers do? Because they are a bit of a fusty old... Um, brewery they've brought out the dr tim's range that really you know it, it was that <laughs> they were just sort of variations of the existing ales um we have seen the um summer ale that they've brought out that has you know taken its cues from beers like stonewood pacific ale and they've done it quite well but then they're also bringing out low carb beers and clear beers and they don't really all under the cooper's brand and they don't really seem to know who or what they are so you know You've worked for Little Creatures. Little Creatures is you know, much younger, um, coming up to you know, 18 years old, but it still has managed to keep a very clear brand and disciplined brand presence. Yes. Is it too late for Coopers to, to stay relevant or do they need to really work on what they're doing? I think they already have very strong foundation. Stop getting distracted by the competition and not stop worrying about like what everyone else is doing and really focus on what their strengths are. And when I went on this brewery tour, as I mentioned in my comment with my dad and my partner, they have this amazing tour. They talk about the fact that they're 100% Australian. They're, you know, they're doing their own malting now. They've got this experimental brew area, like a brew kit that kids can come in and make their own beers. They have this amazing history that they can call on and they have access to you know, local ingredients and also local craft brewers. Like they can use the fact that they've got locality, which is such a strong thing. They're 100% Australian owned. People like really want to know about that. So that's already there for them. They've got the ingredients. That's already there for them that they can call on that. And then they can actually, instead of kind of battling against their competition, they can collaborate with them. And see, there's something like Little Creatures does that. There's, you know, we've got all these other, I guess, craft breweries that have come out of Little Creatures or the brewers that have come out that instead of going, you know, oh, these people have gone off and we're competing against them, they kind of come together and they work together. So we have like, you know, Mismatch, a Little Bang. We've got all these other craft beer or brewers in South Australia that they can start to build relationships with. And so instead of having to rewrite their Bible, they can pull focus on the history and their ingredients, really call on that, and then they can start to collaborate and they can kind of tap into these, like, seasonal beers. They can kind of, instead of having to set up, you know, a whole different section of their brewery with smaller tanks and everything for these seasonal things, they can work with the resources that are already available to them and, yeah, you start to kind of develop relationships and tap into a new audience. Zoe, one of the things that has been suggested, and when, when you look at the Victorian sales drop, which from memory was 17%, was that some of Cooper's um, very, very conservative social values um, that they've actually been accentuating um, over the last year or two um, may be driving a, a young consumer decline. Do you think that's possible and you know should they be themselves and say this is how we are or should they be very mindful of of the space that they occupy politically 
Yeah, as a marketer, I've been watching, and I should say as a South Australian as well, living in Melbourne, um, I have been watching Coopers for a number of years now and have, as a, as a marketer watching them, have found them very um, interesting and slightly confusing. Like growing up, to me, they had this wonderfully strong branding, real wit in all their um, advertising. They had such a strong positioning on their role within Australian beer. Um, and I think if we speak to a lot to the general public, they would just say, yeah, they're craft beer, regardless, like with no concept of how big Coopers could actually be. Um, I think, you know, they were proudly like pale ale, sparkling ale in a world where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, beer was just beer and it was whatever your state lager was. So they do come from this, like, such a beautifully strong um, history. Then over the years, I don't know if they had different agencies starting to help them out, but the the ads started to change. They started to become a lot more generic. That that wit and that identity got softened. And then it did coincide with um, issues happening within the community. So things like the same-sex marriage vote and um, the videos that came out that Coopers were a part of. And then more importantly, as it always as it often is, it's not actually the situation, it's the response that gets the most attention. And then the way that Coopers managed that in the aftermath was um, you know, probably not handled that well either. And you know, they had a few cracks at getting their apology out and where you know, sharing their their positioning on it. Um, I think this is all just kind of like this perfect storm where the younger people coming in would probably be quite open to, as as he was saying, it's 100% Australian owned. There's a real family behind it. It's been around for a long time. I can trust it. Um, the beers are easily available. They're accessible price points. Like they're all they're hitting the right things for people coming into craft beer that you know, might not want to be spending $90 on a case of beer. They do just want, you know, you can find Coopers easily at, you know, the Palmy and Pot Nights and they're a great way to get people into craft beer. But at the same time, social media is such a strong presence that, you know, if you're into beer, it was pretty much impossible to avoid their name coming out as part of the um, those videos that were against same-sex marriage and the conservative views that the family has shown to have. Um, you know, if you want to do any information, if you want to find further information on that, it's you know the internet makes everything so easy these days. So you, you can very quickly start to build this opinion that that brand is not the brand for me, and I will go to someone that's a bit more neutral or that I don't know where they stand, and that might be the 150 Lashes or the Little Creatures and those other gateway craft beers um so yeah i think i think it really does um especially in victoria here where um you know it is probably the um most progressive state in the country it those things would make a difference and it's not just the um consumers making that decision too it's the the people in between so we saw you know a lot of videos of um publicans and um, bartenders here in particularly in melbourne um you know making quite strong um, their feelings known about how they re- reacted to the Coopers news and how they've taken Coopers off tap or, you know, they're not having their product in their bars anymore. And we know what a competitive real estate that is, that if you lose a tap, it can, there's so many other hands willing to um, step in and take that tap. So it's not necessarily, I think, um, you know, we, they can just bounce back and then people will forget about it. I think this is something that, you know, people have kind of goodbye and went, well, 
I don't, actually don't need to go back to you. Like uh, the the purpose that you were feeling before, I've got other options, and I can feel better about myself and the values that are important to me to go with these other people than feel like I have to return to you. Uh, Zoe, let me throw it to you this way. Um, uh, Coopers approaches you and says, um, okay, total marketing, sort it out for us. Where do we go? What does the what does the package look like? What do you think, uh, in essence, Coopers needs to do uh, to, I guess, redress, you know, the decline? And, and we should, you know, to put it into perspective, we've got a almost 160-year-old business. It survived two world wars. It survived depression and at least three hostile takeovers. Um, at, at one point, it's um, DIY, you know, it's um, homebrew kits were, were kind of holding the business up. Uh, at other times, you know, it's it's new new beers or it's their core range, whatever it might be. So they've gone through a lot. So, you know, we're not kind of, you know, hammering the final nail in, in the coffin of the, of the Cooper's business here. Um, and we should also point out, for those who don't know, that they also brew quite a bit of beer uh, under licence. Matt, I'm going to say Carlsberg and Cronenberg 1664 among them Carlsberg definitely I'm not sure about I think Cronenberg they might yeah I think I think you might be pretty right sure there. they have I might just need to need to get confirmation on that um, and up until recently have been have had an arrangement with with Brooklyn brewery um, that's uh, as we discussed last episode uh, is changing over to Lyon, but that leaves you know some brewing capacity obviously for them to do something similar for another similar sized um, international brewery. So first of all, uh, Zoe, and then I'll um, I'll throw it to Fiona. What do you map it out? Talk. To, uh, we're in the boardroom now. Give us your presentation. I would apply to Coopers the same as I would apply to the small breweries that are hopefully listening in as well. It's all the same. It's about understanding your positioning and who your target consumer is. Um, you know, the day that you start producing beer for retail sale is the day it stops becoming about you and starts becoming about your customer. And that's where I think Coopers have just kind of lost it um, a little bit. Over the years, just slowly, the market around them has changed and they've just kind of done the same thing. They've, they've clearly got a lot of money because I see them, you know, they're sponsoring everything from the Australian Open, which the investment alone, let alone the activation costs on top would be incredibly huge. But then you'll see them at, um, taking part in midnight, you know, heavy music um, pop-up events. Um, you know, and then they go through to WOMAD and Adelaide Fringe. So their positioning and who they're talking to is kind of all over the shop. As Fee pointed out before, they're on one hand kind of having a crack at craft beer drinkers and portraying them a certain way, but then putting out homebrew kits. Like there's just this real confusion that, you know, sorry, and on that point, they're the, they are the same pit, the same person. Like if someone's homebrewing, they're already drinking craft beer or, you know, there's, there, there's a crossover there. The, the two worlds aren't that far apart. So to me, they just really need to, really go back to square one and work out what's their positioning. Um, normally, I would say, you know, saying that, you know, we're 20 years old or, you know, 30 years old, um, it's a nice to have that's not your positioning. Someone with, like Coopers can say that, like exactly what you just said, how resilient they are, you know, we're, we're a battler like you are. Like there's so many messages that can come out from being family-owned for 160 years, you know, we're... we're, we're we're where we started, you know, we're still in Adelaide, like this is where we started, this is our history. There's so many great things that this brand could be talking about and 
it just feels like they're trying to have too many little conversations instead of just being proud of the one conversation that they alone can own. Um, and then do all your marketing activities off that. It kind of feels like sometimes they've gone the other way around and there's an opportunity for them to you know, take part in something big, but it hasn't connected back into the brand essence and how people relate and see that brand um, in the marketplace and how they identify with it. Um, so, yeah, and you know, I think that just shows that it doesn't matter how big, how big you are or how small you are, how, how much marketing budget you have, again, how big or small, there's some really just fundamentals you have to get right and the rest is just gravy on top. You, you really need to identify these, these base, where your base is and go from there. Um, and that's where I think, yeah, Cooper has just kind of muddled that up for themselves a bit. Yeah. Uh, Fiona, anything to add or what would you... Wow. Well, I think, I mean, I had all these thoughts and then Zoe just said them. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Like, well, thanks very like, much for joining us, Fiona. Oh, we'll move on now. Like, this sorry, is why I love Zoe because she's, you know, no, no, that's all right. You're, um, no, if, if basically everything Zoe said is just, um, I completely say ditto to it because it really is a matter of really not so much, I guess, wiping the slate clean, but really going back to the beginning and just recalibrating and just going, you know, as Zoe said, just like, well, who are we? What what are we about? And um, I guess, I mean, to draw, I guess, a comparison, it's a bit like an artist. At the moment, it's like there's students in art school who they're going out there and they're exploring pop art and they're exploring impressions and they're trying out all these different things there and everyone's going, yeah, but what are you as an artist? You know, are you? do you do this or is this your strength? What is your strength? And I think they need to stop getting so distracted and really just focus on their own canvas and start painting a very clear picture for the audience to look at. And if the picture that they paint is clear, then they will draw their own audience in. But right now, nobody really knows what they're looking at. It's a bit of this and it's a bit of this and it's a bit of that. So, um, yeah, I guess going back to the fact that they've got these strengths, they've already got a really good foundation. The thing with the DIY beers, all of that, they can really work on. And um, and I guess Joey, <laughs> what Joey <laughs> said. <laughs> there we go. But having identified those things, do you think the business is capable of implementing them? And, you know, this is one of those hard discussions to have because I have the greatest respect and, you know, real admiration for uh, people like Tim Cooper, who is one of the great gentlemen um, of the beer industry and a lovely, lovely fellow. Um, but then, and they, they have rewarded um, loyalty. They've sort of, uh, you know, they, they talk about the relationships that they have. And so all of the businesses that they tend to work with are ones that the families have um, had connections with uh, for, for a long, long time. But you also find that you do get a little bit of insular thinking um, when you live in that sort of world. And uh, the, the beard yeah. industry has evolved so rapidly over the last five six seven years do they need some new blood do they need some new thinking do they need to sort of maybe change some of those traditional um you know loyalty driven ways in order to stay relevant i think to me it seems that one of the issues is there's a disconnect between what's happening in terms of you know the brewing like you've got their session mails and they've got the brew kits and all this but then the advertising companies are trying to spruik a different message completely. So I don't know if they need new blood, but they, it seems like they need to get everyone in the same room and start speaking the same language 
because that's what's causing the confusion for the consumer is we're not sure what they're trying to tell us. And I don't know if in their, in their room, if they've got too many cooks in the kitchen and they, yeah, they need to just, um, yeah, go, go back and figure out, well, what are the core values and deliver on that. And so, you know, you know, with, I guess, I mean, I, I call back to little creatures because that's what I know, but their clear message is it's about the beer, it's about, you know, um, balance and flavour. It's and it kind of, they keep, they keep coming back to those foundations. And if you keep, if Coopers can figure out what that was and who their audience really is, and they get a marketing company and something like Zillion <laughs> to really make them deliver that, then, you know, they might, they might come through this storm with a clear direction. From a design point of view, which is uh, what your agency does for Little Creatures, and Little Creatures has always been very relevant and inviting and contemporary, um, you know, do they need to uh, look at their labels or, you know, is that too big a change? Do they need to move away from the Dr. Tim is the original hipster in some ways? And I think they've even run a campaign around that, you know, with the uh, – sorry, not Dr. Tim um, – Cooper founder. I'm trying to think of his name. Um, Thomas. Thomas. Sorry, Thomas Cooper um, with the long flowing beard that looks very much like any uh, inner city bar these days. Um, and, and they've actually played to that. Um, you know, should should they look at refreshing their design or should they, you know, as mm. Tim Cooper says, stick to their knitting? I think I really like the fact that they, that when you walk into a pub, you can see from one side of the room which one's the Cooper's tap. And so when I walked in and I saw the session ale, I was like really impressed that they kind of, I like the fact that they stayed true to that identity because that seems to be the one thing that's consistent here <laughs> is that, and so you can know what you're going to get. Um, when I saw the session ale, I thought they're using a contemporary colour. They're keeping true to that identity. So I didn't go in and go, oh man, oh, that's a Cooper's by having to, you know, because you don't really drill into the image that's sitting on the tap. It is very much a quick, thing and um, I think what needs to happen is the context in which that logo or that label sits is getting confused it's like too many too much contrast and contradiction between that so they've got this beautiful label with this beautiful heritage and right now they take extracting that and they're throwing it onto a neon screen <laughs> and then they're putting onto pastel screens they're kind of throwing around where it sits if they just go, this is the logo, this is where, this is a story within it, which it fits, people will appreciate that. And so I think the design in itself is great. It's what the design means to the audience. It's the message that comes out of that design that they need to work on more. So when people see that logo, they don't go, oh, God, that's a pale owl. I'm kind of a bit bored with that. When they see that parallel logo they'll go oh I've just learned something more about that because they've clarified to me what that logo means to me now so yeah it's not just the picture it's the words that surround the picture and I think they need to focus on the the wording and the story around it for it to you know have a bit more gravitas at the tap yep. we probably need to wind up the discussion on Cooper's for now but to finish it off, um, and it's kind of, a, I guess, one or t'other, Cooper's, I guess, in you look at the comments on, on Australian Brews News and on the Facebook pages and, and all these other groups uh, when the news was announced, um, 
the the biggest criticism it seems from the if you like from the you know the the five percent of the five percent the pointy end of, of the craft beer drinkers is that Cooper's core range is too boring. So do Coopers need to stick to their knitting, as Dr. Tim says, and and just go for I guess the the ninety five percent aim at the mainstream market, aim on on quality, on consistency, um, and familiarity, and on price, or do they need to do a little creatures, I guess, and and do a a dry hopped you know American style pale ale and get into the the craft side? So so craft or mainstream? If we've got to pick one or one or the other, I'll start with you, Fiona. Oh, I don't think they have to jump from one to the other. I think they should stick. They've got their core range. I think that's a great thing. But I think that they can explore seasonals instead of them throwing all these other different permanent ones in. Just go. I think they can really so trim trim down. Yep. So trim, trim down, down the, figure out what the core range. The core, the core range that really matters to the brand, and then say, okay, and now we can start to explore seasonals. What's a, a winter ale? And I think I said in my comment, like coming up to Christmas, they can do things that mean something to Australians. So here's a Christmas ale. We're not looking at roast. We're looking at prawns and barbecues. What spices, what flavours can we use in our beer to enhance that experience? Um, I think they could collaborate more with the local South Australian breweries, um, the craft breweries, and they can um, build relationships there. And so that way they're not having to strip the brewery apart and pull it back together again. They keep to what they're good at and that extra 5-10%, they can start the conversation going, start to build a new relationship with the craft beer audience and start to develop a bit more, um, I guess, regain some trust as to what they're about. Done. Zoe? I think they kind of... To me, it's, the, it's like the saying, like, are you there to please the people in the front row or are you there to worry about the one heckler at the back? And I think that's where um, Coopers, again, they just need to get together, work out who their target consumer is and what they are wanting. Um, the Coopers consumer, are they wanting to see dry hopped on the bottle that they're holding or do they, do they just want a beer that they can rely on? It's consistently high quality. It's in my price point. I can find it easily. Um, I think in terms of like brand um, like identity, I think as um, Fee said, collaboration would be amazing for them. Um, again, it, it, that real, you know, we're the, the doyen, we're the grandfather of beer in Australia, um, you know, 160 years, family owned, you know, we're Coopers by name. It's not, you know, just on our label. There's so many things that they could do and then kind of by collaborating with, ideally other South Australian breweries, but even broader than that, um, and even outside beer as well. Like there's a real opportunity to get the the feel goods and kind of pay it forward, I guess. Um, yeah, I, you know, they could still do some great um, limited releases to to stay, um, I guess, like media um, relevant. Um, you know, as he said, like a Christmas release. Um, it's not necessarily then about, having a pointy end beer inside it but it's about celebrating the occasion which people can get behind regardless of where they sit on the um on their beer journey um and then that could be treated like their vintage ales um you know I've, I've been away from south australia for a bit now but i remember when their vintage ales used to get released like there used to be this huge rush and it just felt like every everyone was talking about you know have you, did you get your six pack or no oh, you missed out like there was always this real excitement and energy around their vintage beer releases um you know, there's no reason why they can't do some like some um, innovation that's 
on a much more softer scale rather than um, you know, releasing like a NEPA, which to me would be completely yeah. off-brand yeah. for Coopers, even though that's what is so hot in craft beer right now. Um, I think if they did things that were more around, yeah, like a Christmas release or um, you know, even like a hop harvest, like you, that's probably something that can still be educational and interesting without being too beer geeky for the bulk of their consumers. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, there's still some great things that Coopers um, could do. Um, but, yeah, to me, it's just bringing it all back around identifying who their, who their core consumer is and what they're wanting to have from Coopers. Matt? Oh, man, I've got nothing to, nothing, nothing to add. Um, how can I uh, top that? <laughs> I was thinking the same myself. I was, I was glad I didn't ask myself for my, for my opinion. Because I reckon we've covered it beautifully. Uh, listen, Fiona, thank you very much for for joining us on Good Brews Week, um, and hopefully, as I say, we can uh, we can make you part of the um, you know apropos of uh, what we've just been talking about with the Coopers, um, the Brews News family, um, and get you back on for a, a full length episode. But um, it's been a pleasure having you on um, as a I guess a special comments person, and uh, and and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Super, absolutely chuffed. It's a real privilege. Thank you. And just before we move on, Matt, here's a word from our sponsors. Right, uh, yeah, look, as, as we discussed last week, we have uh, new, new uh, sponsors, uh, Rallings, Label, Stickers and Packaging. And uh, yeah, so we, we welcomed them last week. And because what they do is so special, um, I may not have uh, completely described exactly what they do. So brewers, if you're listening, if you order printed cans, uh, you generally have to order a minimum quantity of you know, 60,000. That's a fair bit of beer for a small brewery. Sleeve cans look and feel like a printed can, but with a much smaller minimum order quantity required. Um, And labels on cans can sometimes miss the mark if you don't get the design right and can look cheap and unappealing, which means the punter may choose another beer over yours. Rallings label stickers and packaging supply sleeved, fully and palletized cans ready to be filled. They can also print and hold the sleeves and supply in batches as needed for each brew to make cash flow and storage easy. Pay for the printing upfront and then you can pay per can and application as needed. So we thank you, Rallings, uh, for coming on board as sponsors. And uh, yeah, so brewers, if you want to find out, uh, no doubt you're driving or you're doing something with hot water in your brewery, but you will find a link to our good friends uh, at Rallings in the show notes. CB yesterday celebrated the 50th anniversary of the classic VB anthem and in celebrating its heritage managed to mangle its own history <laughs> again. That from uh, comments from Matt Kierkegaard on the 28th of November on Australian Brews News. Discuss. Oh, mate, it's, well, it, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one of those things it, that CUB has a dreadful history of um, getting their history right. Of history. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, and, and in some ways, I mean, it's something I'm fairly close because, you know, some of the... Um, not best journalism articles, but some of the best research that I've done, um, you know, was around the Crown Lager thing that in, in its own way forced them to change everything about the way that they marketed that brand um, because they built it on this nonsense story that they'd never actually gone back to check. And uh, so when I saw that they were celebrating 50 years of the classic VB jingle, and this is something, like, it really is something that should be celebrated. It's something that's very so, special. So this is the return of the Magnificent Seven. It's the, um, the, the John Malian voiceover, yeah. the matter of fact, I've got it now. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. Victoria Vic. So, you know, they, they did a big launch and needless to say, they had Mick Malloy there and they had bands and all these people doing the, the various things. But 
In, in, in their little world, the VB jingle started and ended with VB. Um, and there's, a, there's more of a history to it. And we, you know, we've spoken to uh, Mike uh, Bannenberg um, about it in the past and how important it was, but also where it evolved from. And it came from a little brand in Brisbane called Belinda Goldtop. And the way that that story came around, um, and it was quite successful, and then they, because it was the same stable, that when... Uh, uh, George Pats um, got the advertising in the Melbourne market, they realised that the demographic of VB was exactly the same. Now, that is not strictly relevant to 50 years of the VB jingle, in, in a way, but uh, we, we did fire a question into the team. So I said, look, you know, what, re- you know, we're going to do a story about this. What, you know, relevance do you place on the Belinda Goldtop ad that went before it? And there was just this, you know, condescending little reply um, that you know, so said, oh, you know, it wasn't very successful, and you know, we we put it together, and it, it it was just nonsense. And so, you know, it was quite clear that whoever is running the brand team for VB these days hadn't even gone and looked at the history. And the number and the, the number one Google search for VB jingle history is a bruise news and you know is a bruise news um, article on the history of the, the complete history of the VB jingle. And they obviously hadn't even done that, and they were just so dismissive that I thought, well, look, you know, guys, you really haven't learned anything from. If, if you're going to put out these nonsense histories, you really haven't learned anything from the time from, 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 from the Crown Lager affair. Do you remember that time that you were telling everybody that the Queen had visited your brewery, and she hadn't? Um, you know, <laughs> so you know, our good friend Vincent, who I'm sure doesn't listen to the the, the show, uh, Vincent Rui, um, who you know came out and said, look, I'd always been told that this. Um, video of the Queen in a brewery with an Australian accent um, d- doing the voiceover was in our brewery and I never stopped to ask and you can just see that they've learned nothing from that and at no stage you know do they go back and look at their history so they can tell the true story but I mean I'm, so, so that's, that, that's the background to it they look stupid once again how important is the true history over a good story um, for a brand like this from a marketer's point of view? That's nailed it. It's exactly when I read the article and um, and the previous ones as well. And this is exactly the challenges of a created brand that has no genuine backstory um, or history. You're not saying when that VB doesn't have a genuine it. backstory, are you? <laughs> when you but when you can like, compare it to the authenticity of a real brand journey and story with real people um, and, you know, this is exactly why, you know, I left the path I was on um, to work with Totem and be a part of marketing and sharing and getting those stories out of real people and real stories. And there's no grey areas because it actually happened. Um, you know, it's, this is making me think of the whole John Boston versus James Squires, like first brewer in Australia like as marketers in those teams you pick up that brand story and you you make yourself familiar with it and that's as far as it goes like I completely can understand when um he said you know we saw that video and we just we just took it at face value because that's that's what happens um and I completely can understand why no one thought to challenge it because the people before you pass on that story and there's that's what you run with yeah it's just the challenge that these these brands um, as opposed, I guess, to breweries, um, if that kind of makes sense from a marketing perspective, um, they're always going to face is that there's always been this creation around 
it was a product first and everything else got developed around it as compared to, you know, hopefully nearly everybody listening in on this podcast who, you know, if they have their own brewery, that came first. And then the act, like you're not making things up because this is actually you. Like this is actually how we started. This is where we started. His photos from our first brew day, it wasn't this... um, something created to fill a gap in the market is actually something that came from passion and heart and a desire to, you know, put my, put my art or my craft out there. Um, and yet it's always going to be the challenges as marketers that we'll face with the um, different brands that you represent. Zoe, breweries who are, who are starting today, should is your advice to them, like, should they be um, recording a lot more? Should they be keeping um, labels? Should they be keeping uh, cans, some, you know, uh, brew sheets, um, marketing, media releases, all that sort of thing, and, and I guess collating it? Because at the end of the day, you know, every little brewery, like CUB didn't start out as a, you know, a, a mega brewery. It started out as a series of little breweries in, you know, laneways and, you know, inner city Melbourne, who all ended up becoming what we now know as CUB, AB, InBev, SAB, Miller, Interbrew, Megabrew. Um, should, should you know, is saying that the history is important, how, what's the advice? How do they, how, how, do, how do breweries today make sure that, you know, in 10, 15 years' time, um, they're not getting called out by, you know, um, <laughs> an ageing Matt Kierkegaard and his Zimmer frame going, now I think I'm just going to call you out on that. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, n- n- none of it's actually. You weren't I'm, the I'm not, first one to brew a Nipa. I'm only the guy without the filter that was uh, that you know the old man yells at cloud. Other people have actually uh, done the history, you know, uh, and, and they need to get full credit. Oh, I've just got the best mental image in my head. Exactly like old man yelling at cloud. I can just see you with your fist in the air. <laughs> Shake harder, um, boy. <laughs> what you see in public is nothing about what goes on in private. <laughs> Matt, Matt is recording um, this in his underpants as we speak. Uh, oh, too far. <laughs> um, before my beer life, um, I worked in wine. And um, I was very fortunate to start my um, wine days at Darrenberg Winery in McLaren Vale. And they, um, in 2012, were 100 years old. They have done an incredible job of just keeping photos over the years, um, documents. That kind of nostalgia is just, again, it's it's invaluable. You can't you can't yeah, recreate it. You can't recreate that. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's it's so invaluable. Um, so yeah, if if you are first to market with something, or if it if it doesn't even have to be like an industry milestone, even internally, if there's you know. Document that first time, you know, you, you get your first canning line and you stop outsourcing that or the, the the day you release what hopefully might, you know, like Stonewood at the moment is like, here's the day that we um, renamed our beer to Pacific Ale. I, they're really big milestones that, um, you know, down the track really do, again, add that authenticity to your brand story. Um, you know, like brand is just such a generic word. I, you know, brand is what, you know, I would use to call like Coca-Cola or McDonald's. Like I always feel weird saying brand when it's against these, um, you know, these such true stories with like real people behind them. Um, it's just that generic word, but it needs to be just so much stronger. Um, then, yeah, there needs to be a stronger word when it comes to talking about these true stories because they do have so much more depth to them, but it's um, unquestionable. Like it's, 
it it's real because it actually did happen. So like James Squires and um, John Boston can keep their argument going about who was the first brewer in Australia because that's kind of just a bit fluffy. I'd much rather hear the stories from the small guy down the road. That's it's actually true, and you know, you, you everyone speaks it on their might be speaking it on their behalf, but they speak it with 100% knowledge that it's true because they've heard it firsthand. Um, it's not this fable that's just been handed down from one agency to another or one you know, marketing brand manager to another to another that over the decades kind of you know, gets tweaked a little bit and softened out and then other things come in that might be more important that they see at the time and it just kind of loses its way a bit. Um, no, I, yeah, I would... I'd much rather, yeah, this, like, yeah, just record as much as you can, keep as much as you can. Um, you know, don't hoard. We don't, <laughs> you don't need to see the receipt. <laughs> but yeah, definitely take photos. You know, social media makes it so much easier these days. You're probably recording it already. Um, you know, uploading it onto your Facebook page. You know, yeah, just make sure you keep a file of it because you never know down the track you could be celebrating your. 50th birthday, your 100th birthday, your 160th, as we were just talking about with Coopers. Your 200th episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're they're, they're big things. That's some scary shit If you don't make them important, who else else will? Like, you've got to make these things important and share um, the pride that comes, and and as it should, with with achieving these milestones, because... You know, as a small business owner myself, and I'm sure as people listening in, like we bloody work our asses off. Like you should be stopping to celebrate. Um, it's so easy to let those milestones go, but yeah, absolutely record those those significant moments, whether they're big or small, because um, they all build up to this incredible, genuine history of your brewery or your brand. So one of the things, so that's looking at the history, but then, you know, when, when everyone spins it, you know, everyone has their own little story about, you know, Bazza and Phil who in their garage started working and, you know, VB um, has that sort of story itself. And I'm just reading, uh, you know, I, I always laugh when, when you look at the contortions that they try and twist themselves into to try and build this tradition. Um and when you read uh, the, the VV website, Victoria Bitter was first brewed by Thomas Aitken in 1854 as a full-flavoured, full-strength and thirst-quenching beer for the harsh Australian climate. Now, we're talking about a beer that was made in 1854 before commercial refrigeration. Um, you know, beer yeah. would have been served warm. Um, but then the very bold headline says, the recipe for Victoria Bitter has changed very little since its creation, boasting Australian pale malt with iconic pride of ringwood hops grown in Victoria and Tasmania. Now... Pride of Ringwood Hops, correct me. Which was only developed in 1954. Yeah, yeah. so 100 years later. So when they say... But we used to use hops and we still use hops. Therefore, it's exactly the same. The recipe for Victoria Bitter has changed very little because we use malt, water, hops and yeast. Um, All of those have changed. We now filter the water. We now do this. We now... Perhaps a bit of cane sugar. Well, (laughs) no, they always would have used cane sugar because that's the thing about Cooper's. Cooper's was one of the very few you know, significant malt beers back in the day because um, cane sugar was, was always used. So th- that's probably very true. That's the fifth ingredient or maybe the sixth ingredient, depending, because it is CUB. Um, Don't forget time. <laughs> but how important is, you know, do you just tell the, the story or do all stories become foundation myths with a little bit of embellishment? And, sh- and should they? And, and, and is that okay? I'll be a bit of a broken record here, but again, getting back to who their target consumer is and who's buying their beer, I would put 
my house on that 99.9% of VB drinkers wouldn't care about a single thing that you just read out. <laughs> they, they just want a cold beer. They just want it to be, be again, at a price point that mat- matches them. They know that they can get it at yep. their local. It's, they want it at the same price. They, they want it to be change. in the, in the yep. same place at Uncle Dan's. I want it to be Dan's. exactly the way I know yep. it. Yep. yep. They, they don't care what old mate made it in 1854. They don't, they don't, they don't, want to know what hops go in it they don't probably even care or would be able to say what the four ingredients of beer is filtered unfiltered whatever like they what for them vb would primarily deliver a very rational um uh, uh need in terms of just being a cold refreshing beer and then uh, emotional um delivery of probably just yeah it's not one of the wanker beers it's not you know this is the beer for me because yeah it's a hard day's first i work hard i deserve it kind of it's just attitude. a beer that tastes like beer yeah yeah and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that that's 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 what makes them happy and they've they've found the beer that delivers on that um it's us bloody marketers <laughs> that go in <laughs> and add all this fluffy stuff to it um for the need that we need to be telling those stories. But like, if we look outside beer, no one's telling the same stories about Coke. Like the Coke doesn't have this need to tell everyone, you know, how they make it, who invented it. Like it's there if you went searching for it, but they don't make that a core part of their story because it's not, they, they know that people buy Coke because again, pretty much for the same reasons as TV. It's refreshing. I can find it everywhere. It tastes, it tastes the same every time. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even not making a big thing of it, because, you know, all of the ads um, don't necessarily bring this, but when you go to the website and you are looking for a little bit more, they have it there, because doesn't that give you a little bit of an emotional reassurance that, you know, there, there is, you know, some consistency and some heritage? Because they do make a big thing about heritage on some level, um, and, and it's, it's something that you always come back to um, with, with a brand like uh, VB. Yeah, and again, like that heritage and history is, it is a great point, but that's a secondary story. It's not, and it doesn't need to be as embellished as what you just read out. Um, you, by all means, have it on your website that, you know, it was first brewed in 1854 and by the guy, and, you know, whereabouts. And um, it's there if people want to find it. But, you know, to go into, yeah, like the hops being used and have a full article and story and back backstory about that. I just don't think that's that's necessary. Again, it's not delivering on what the people that are supporting your product want. Um, by all means, have have that information should that 0.1% want to track it down. But just keep it factual, keep it keep it honest, um, and it doesn't need to distract from the 99.9% of where that story should be. All right. Now, folks, uh, not looking at the time limit or anything like that, because obviously we're well and truly cooked, but because this is a bit of a special episode, we've got an extra special two guests in, and so we've kind of coopered this this part of the episode. So we will will go a little bit longer, but we probably do need to move on. Sad news this week, DME uh, went into receivership. A lot of people, I guess, in the brewing, in the industry side of the the beer community would know DME as a uh, a stainless steel manufacturer and supplier. Uh, What does this mean? Is it just a, a, that particular business model or are we looking at, you know, we maybe hit a bit of a wall? Uh, I'll, I'll give a very quick summary of this one because of the time, Prof, and it's something yep. that we might – and it, it's still early days in terms of finding out the repercussions, but DME is a major supplier. Um, I believe, uh, you know, a lot of the Four Pines, Pirate Life, uh, certainly Felons in Brisbane, uh, Hemingways um, – I was even speaking to uh, Justin Corbett uh, during the week, who is with... Um, Quiet Deeds. Quiet Deeds. Um, and they've 
fortunately dodged a bullet. So I've, I've only heard this week from people that have just installed or, you know, there's a few little things. Justin hadn't commissioned their brewery yet. They had it installed. So they're not dramatically affected. Um, but the interesting thing that comes out of this for me, Prof, is how does, you know, when we've seen such massive um, uh, growth in the industry, so many brew houses being built, how does a business that makes brew houses go broke? Um, and that's the story that we're, we're still not really clear on. Um, I believe they took over Newlands Systems two years ago, and there's also been some private equity investment. So have there been some bad decisions made there? Or um, the other thing that I've heard recently is that uh, people that were at um, Brau Bevier, which is a big German um, you know, annual trade conference, had remarked that some of the brewery equipment manufacturers had really scaled back their um, displays this year over past years, but it was people like canning line makers that had really gone large. So was that potentially a leading indicator that orders are down for new breweries and that we are going to see some cooling of the rapid expansion that we've seen? Um, All I can do at the moment is pose questions because we're still digging and looking and, and waiting to see, but hopefully... Uh, there haven't been too many breweries that have been really burned badly um, because you need, I I believe they have a 50% requirement for your upfront deposit. And so if you've ordered, um, you know, an average size brew house, you're looking at, you know, $100,000, $150,000 deposit to have secured that DME brew house. And that is going to hurt some people if they are are waiting. And I believe there may have been one or two, but we'll just sort of sit back and wait and see, Prof. Well, hold it over for another episode. Once more, yeah, once more. um, But but, uh, for those who are interested or concerned, um, go to uh, australianbrewersnews.com and get the article um, to keep you up to date with where we're at at the moment. Matt, we probably should dive into the mailbag. Or oh, just very, very quickly before we do, because the, the big news that is about to be announced in an hour, um, so this would be an exclusive if you're listening to it live, but today the Queensland government announced its craft beer strategy, um, which we've uh, talked about a little bit over the last six months. Um, and very, look, if they deliver on what the media releases are saying, it's going to be huge for Queensland. A lot of the problems around permits and licensing, um, cellar doors um, are, are potentially going to be redressed. Um, and and the government's even offering to go further in terms of having um, satellite cellar doors and things that will make it much, much easier for small brewers to control their route to market and get the, the products out there. There's a whole lot in there about training, a whole lot in there about even getting the uh, DPI or the sort of science uh, parts of government to be working closely with the craft beer industry around innovation, quality, and those sorts of things. So um, lots of big ideas being touted, lots of promises being made. If it comes out, incredibly big news for the Queensland beer industry. But again, we might uh, let that come out in the wash again uh, next week, Prof. Well, yeah, by the time this episode drops, the uh, it would have already been released. So yes. the, the, I guess there'll be some detail around that. And I'm sure there'll be some follow-up um, articles on Brews News looking at the detail and, and how it might affect brewers. Very much. Would be my guess. So keep an eye on that. And then uh, once again, we'll look at that in uh, future episodes. Let's dive into the mailbag, shall we? We've got one letter this week, Matt, which I thought was really interesting. What was that, Prof? Uh, apropos of uh, <laughs> our last episode where uh, shade was thrown. Well, no. And I learned, well, well, and no, I learned no, about no, what no. shade throwing meant. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but there, you sh- remember sh- that. Shade, was shade, shade wasn't thrown by us. We were commenting <laughs> no, no, no. on that shade that may have been coming our way. 
<laughs> so this from none other than Sean Ryan <laughs> at Killer Sprocket. G'day, Sean, who is uh, a regular listener, as, as you'll find is. out. Hey, Matt, address to you. Uh, you are welcome for the extra listeners that got caught up in the shade I threw your way. Ha ha. Uh, now, first up, I want to say I'm a huge fan of the work you and Pete do. I listen to every episode without fail and have been doing so for many years. Your early podcasts were the driving force behind me starting a brewing company in the first place. Also, without Pete vouching for me, we would not have had the early success that we enjoyed. I had uh, I hold a great respect for you, for both you guys, but also feel the need to poke fun when and where I can. My background as a stand-up comic before I became a brewer means I cannot resist taking a shot at my perceived betters. Matt, his other uh, co-host, and I wanted to do a beer-based live podcast that is uh, on the lighter side of the beer conversation. And our goal was to create a show that represents brewers standing around a mash tun after you've just mashed in, having a beer and talking tish. Uh, those conversations usually result, revolve around music, nerding out on stuff no one else would give a damn about, and talking about other people in the industry. And as such, the conversation turned to you and your views on the Brute IPA that the Ale of a Time Boys brewed with Wolf of the Willows. As I said, been listening for many years, and in that time, some of my favourite moments were when you would get bent out of shape over someone misconstruing, getting offended or taking offence for something you said. You can imagine how many favourite parts I have. Uh, almost every episode. Did you just add that bit in there? I don't remember reading that bit. No, no, I'm just I'm okay. reading this verbatim. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, look, and, and there's more. Shall, shall I keep going on? No. I think there's probably enough. Yeah, no, no um, lo- 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 lovely email. Yeah. But, yeah, so the, the, let's put the brute discussion, you know. Oh, no, we'll, he, he we'll may have been, that. He may, yeah, uh, he will cop to the fact that uh, I used a good dose of hyperbole saying you referred uh, that you referenced Brute IPA for 20 episodes, a fact that is constantly brought up um, by other guests I've had on Mashed In. I believe Will Zibel actually counted them and told me in our conversation, but I can't remember the number he came up with. Well done, Will, for counting the number of times that Matt's... He must have gone back through a fair few episodes. Perhaps not 20, but... Well, not 20, but it was nice. And, yeah, absolutely, you know, um, absolutely uh, don't mind being... Uh, having fun poke uh, at me. Uh, I, I do a fair and, bit of that and myself. Sean, and uh, that and Sean does finish up. Sean does finish up with. I would love to be on the show with you guys, and would also love to get you guys on the show with us. So there we go. There's a speaking of collaborations. There's there's another one that we can uh, look forward to. And uh, their, their so, podcast is long enough to probably accommodate me too, Prof. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> you'd have to come up with a whole new version of uh, interpretation of the cook limit, which we have well and truly exceeded today. But I think it's well worth it. We, we can't go without saying uh, this comes out Sunday night, Sunday the 2nd of December, um, this will be dropping. Um, we have uh, booked our teased um, 200th episode uh, live recording, uh, recorded live in front of a studio audience. It's going to be uh, next Sunday, the 9th of December. Um, it's going to take place at 3 o'clock at the local tap house in Wilfred's room. Now... Listeners, Which is up, upstairs at the local tap house in Kilda Reefs, Carlisle Street. Yeah. Now, we've done that because it's a nice little room. Uh, they're not charging us to do it. And we can't believe that anyone actually listens uh, to this podcast, let alone wants to give up their Sunday afternoon to come and see us carry on this way live. Um, so it's a, it's a small little room. Um, it'll fit 15 people. Um, rather, we're not going to make a big thing about it because if there is enough demand for it, but listeners, don't delay. If you're listening to this and you're in Melbourne and you want to come along and join us, uh, shoot an email to producer at bruisingnews.com.au straight away um, and we first come, uh, first served uh, and, and you can join us for a 
podcast um, uh, live recording of the 200th episode. We've got some great guests. We, we've, uh, we're going to have uh, Crafty Pint, who was one of our first guests. Uh, Zoe, maybe uh, if you're not doing anything that Sunday, you might like to come along as well. Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully we're going to have uh, Mazen Hajar. Uh, we're going to have a special uh, guest appearance uh, by internet thingy uh, from Curly Waldhorn, who was also one of our first guests. Um, there's going to be free beer for, and, and you get to uh, meet Pete and I, and we'll also give each and every one of you a bar blade. So if you are listening and you have stuck, your reward for listening to an hour and five minutes of today's <laughs> podcast is you can <laughs> listen to two and hours of us. <laughs> Live. <laughs> do it all again, but, and, but, I've, but, but I've got to drive out there to do it. But with free beer and also uh, Barblade, and we might even uh, I might even bring some Deb Bakes good, goodies as well, Prof, for each and every one of you. Oh, I might speak to Deb Lou from Deb Lou Bakes and see if she can do some special 200 episode ones for us. How many, because um, it's fairly limited space, how many do you reckon we can squeeze 15, in? Well, I'm, I'm going to limit to 15 plus uh, our special, because we're going to have quite a few industry people um, who have already asked or said that they're going to drop along, um, who will be able to sort of uh, just get on the panel. It, it's, it's going to be a bit of a celebration of, jeez, uh, nine, eight years of uh, Radio Brews News. Um, some highlights, some lowlights, some special guests, and just a lot of... Uh, and it's also going to be our end of year um, uh, episode too by the time it goes uh, live to profs. So there'll be some prognostications and, and that sort of thing. Hoping that we'll actually get... I've, I've invited uh, Luke from Ale of a Time to join us as well so we can make it 21 episodes yeah, dude, of... Uh, he's, yeah, he's, ne- he's now famous. You know, uh, that was the year that was and, um, yes. and predictions for next year. Well, yeah, that, cool. that too. I was just thinking of uh, Brute IPA because 2018 has been the year of Brute IPA. Uh, sorry, Matt, you just dropped out there. I'm not, I'm, was, that some, was that something about Crown Lager? A brute IPA, was it? Uh, something uh, about that flogging and a so dead much horse. more, folks, to look forward to. So uh, upstairs, Wilfred's Room, the Tap House, 9th of December, Sunday. At 3 o'clock. 3 till 6. Yep. No worries at all. Uh, now, Zoe, thank you very much for joining us again and putting up with this. Always a pleasure. Um, <laughs> but thanks, a yeah, particularly for your, your insights as well as Fiona's on, um, uh, on the whole Looking at the Cooper's story, which I think, yeah, very important because, as I say, it's um, it, it's a, a company unlike any other brewing company in this country, and um, so it's a bit difficult, I guess, to you know say draw comparisons. But it's there's some good lessons there to be learned, I guess, in in um, in how to market your business. So it's thank you very much. Always for fun to be on, guys. Yeah, too easy. Good to have you on again. Matt, thanks very much. Thank you, Prof. Always, uh, always a treat to, uh, and I'm looking forward to actually uh, seeing you IRL, as the kids say. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, we must away. Thank you very much uh, to all our supporters, all our sponsors, and, of course, you, um, the public, for uh, listening. Take care, and we'll see you again next week. And we're out.